morning, Woodland Hills. It's good to see all of you here on location and have all of you that are part of our non-local congregation joining us uh, and to be sharing this moment together. I'm Greg Boyd, uh, the teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. I just got to say, I love being part of this community and I love teaching in this community and I just love the journey that we're on. I love that we're learning how to love together. That's, I feel really good about it. Yes. Feel blessed. Uh, before I get to the message, I have two quick announcements. Um, one is, this is really an announcement, but uh, an encouragement. Keep the people of Ukraine in prayer. Amen? Uh, you know what's going on there. And just imagine yourself, if you were located in Kiev or some other big city in Ukraine, and this ominous threat hanging over your head, it's potentially thousands and thousands and thousands of lives could be lost in this. And so... Uh, Pray that God will work in Putin's heart and show the leaders the ways that make for peace. That this war could be avoided, if at all possible. Lord, let it be. Second uh, announcement I want to make is, is uh, about our blood drive. As we've announced before here, the Red Cross is having a serious shortage of blood. Um, and that affects people who need surgeries and people who are in accidents and have other diseases and things like that. Uh, it's, it's a serious situation. Uh, we've come to the realization that it may take us a little bit longer to hit our goal than we had initially anticipated. Uh, we were hoping to have 500 by the end of February. So now our goal is to have 500 by the end of March. But we're not, we're doubling down on the 500. I think we, we can do this. We need to do this. I, I, I will tell you that since uh, we decided to really uh, encourage folks to do this, uh, this blood drive, I, I've personally gotten convicted about this. I just am seeing things that, that I... With a clarity I haven't seen before. I have this resource, this blood. I, 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 it's a renewable resource. And um, somebody out there needs that resource. They will need that resource. And potentially their life could hang in the balance. How could I not share that resource? It's renewable. I have more than I need and they have less than they need. Um, especially when I consider that that. At some point in the future, I or my wife or one of my kids or a friend or some loved one may need blood. And the only source that they have to get that blood are volunteers who give it. And so in some ways, it feels like I'm paying it forward. Um, if I don't, I might need it. You know, the Bible says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, well, let's say you were in a car accident and you desperately needed blood. What would you have wished that others would have done for you? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto, uh, unto you. And on top of that all, folks, we're, we're kingdom people. This is, this is what we do. This is, this is to be our MO. We, we're, we live to sacrifice, to manifest God's love to all people at all times in every way we can. We want to demonstrate that love where Jesus shed his blood for us. Um, this is a beautiful way to live out the kingdom. And it takes so little effort. I, I, I gave blood this week, and... Um, I was in and out in 40 minutes. It is, it, it's, it's painless, it's easy, uh, and the people there were just very, very friendly. So we want to encourage people to please prayerfully consider uh, giving blood. If you have questions about whether or not you're eligible, uh, questions about where to go, how to register, all that stuff, you can, uh, we've got uh, a, a link online at, on the Woodland Hills website that will give you all the information you need. Uh, another possible possibility, and this is what I did, is there's, a, there's an app, free app you can download from the, the Red Cross, the Red Cross app. 
And it will tell you what location's closest to you, what their hours are, gives you all the numbers, walks you through the registration. You can do it right on that app. Everything's right there. And believe me, I, if you're an older folk and, and that stuff intimidates you, apps and technology, I'm with you. Which just tells you, if I could do this, anyone can do this. It is, is really that easy. So uh, one way or another. Uh, and so if you uh, give blood or even just register for giving blood, uh, and by the end of March, it goes towards this. When you do that, register it. Let us know that, 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 that you did that. And we're going to hit that goal of 500. We are going to hit that goal of 500. Will somebody say amen? Amen. amen. Also, when I'm cook, this is not just for the local congregation, our non-local congregation. Um, especially here in the States. This is a national emergency. And so I uh, encourage you to give wherever state you're in. And if you're another part of the world, I have no idea what your blood levels are at there. But it's always a good thing to be giving blood. So consider doing that. All right. That's all I have to say about that. The Our Father. We're looking at this prayer that the Lord taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'd like to actually read, have, have us read this together again. We did this last week. And it might feel kind of weird that we're together praying the same prayer two weeks in a row. But here's the thing. Throughout most of church history, this prayer was prayed every time Christians got together. It's just what they prayed. Uh, I grew up in Catholic church, and every Mass, we had the Our Father. It was just part of what we did. In fact, in the early church, there's a lot of folks who uh, made this their daily prayer. Before they would go into other kind of prayers, they'd always open with this. And there's been groups of Christians who have practiced prayer three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And this was always their opening prayer. So three times a day, they'd pray the, the Our Father before they go into other kind of prayers. So by doing this two weeks in a row, it may seem odd to us, but actually, we're just kind of inching towards normalcy in terms of the Christian tradition. So let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray it out. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we often forgive our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen, amen. So I'm first gonna do some exegesis of these last two lines, the lines that we haven't covered yet in the series. And then I'll, uh, uh, I wanna focus a little bit more on this evil one that we're praying to be delivered from. Uh, this translation has, lead us not into times of trials. A lot of translations have, lead us not into temptation. In fact, a slight majority have, lead us not into temptation. The word here is parasmos. And uh, it can mean either trials or temptation or testing. Any one of those. And one argument against translating it as temptation is what we read in James chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says this. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one with evil. So God is not a tempter. And so to pray, at least on temptation, it, it could be construed as conflicting with this passage that we get here in James. Note that overcoming temptation, enduring temptation, James says, uh, it, it, it's, it's part of the road that leads to eternal life. So we're talking about some serious stuff here. Learning how to withstand temptation or learning how to go through, through uh, testings. 
Um, so it seems like trials, I, 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 I'm more in line with the NRSV translation that's, that translates it, uh, lead us not into times of trials rather than into times of temptation. Though we'll see here in a moment that it really doesn't make any difference. Because all trials involve a temptation to quit, and all temptations are themselves trials. So put that in your back pocket and think about it. But God doesn't do the, tempta- the tempting. The tempting is done by our own desires and by the evil one, and sometimes by other people being used by them. God never tempts, but God does sometimes test. And we read about this in the Bible quite a bit. One example, Exodus chapter 16. Verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day, and that day alone. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instructions or not. So the Lord would, this is the manna from heaven that we find out in the Old Testament, as the children of Israel going through the desert. And he, he, he instructed them, only collect enough for that day. And trust me for tomorrow. I'll do this every day if you'll trust me. Now, a lot of them had a hard time with that. And so they would collect for today and tomorrow in case Yahweh didn't show up tomorrow. And they failed the test. But God was testing them to see what their character was. Would they prove themselves to be trustworthy covenant partners or not? Would they put their trust in him or in their own ability to collect bread? Um, that's what testings are for. You're, 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 you're discerning someone's character. So here's the basic difference between testings and temptations. When God tests us, he does it with the hope that we'll succeed. And he does it with the knowledge that if we do succeed, it will make us stronger. The testings solidify our character. But they solidify our character for better or for worse. The more you give into a temptation, the easier it is to keep giving into that temptation. The more you pass that, te- that temptation, the more you go through that test... Uh, successfully, well, it makes you stronger. So God wants you to succeed and to grow stronger. But when the devil or somebody else or even our own just desires tempt us, well, the part that's tempting us is saying, I want you to fall and come under further bondage and further weaken your, your, your character. This is why the same event can be both a testing and a temptation. A testing from God's perspective but a temptation from the, the, the devil's perspective. Exhibit A would be Jesus out in the wilderness. We read this in Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Spirit is the one leading Jesus to this, to, to this testing. Um, but it's the devil that does the temptation. Because the Spirit wants Jesus to succeed and to demonstrate a trustworthy character, but the enemy wants Jesus to fail and to perish. Uh, we have here an intentional parallel between Jesus, his 40 days of testing in the wilderness, and the children of Israel and their 40 years of testing in the wilderness. And there's a number of indications for that. But the point of, 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 of drawing this parallel is to display Jesus, both in Matthew and in Luke we find this. Uh, Jesus is uh, being tested to demonstrate that he is the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel. And he's the fulfillment of the mission of Israel. He is the embodiment of Israel. All right? And that's why he's the Messiah for Israel. Um, whereas Israel continually failed the test in the wilderness, Jesus succeeds. He's, he shows himself to be the one true Israelite uh, who never broke covenant with God. And in doing that, it made him stronger. 
Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he, was, he suffered. He was a full human being. And so this was part of his qualification for being the Messiah, the embodiment of, 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 of Israel. He proved himself to be trustworthy. But why does God have to test in the first place? And the answer is, it's the only way to know what one's character is, and it's the only way to grow one's character. Uh, Paul Eddy, my covenant bro, uh, who knows no more about covenant than I ever will, um, he, he put it eloquently this way, and, and I quote, here's why you need testing. And this is spoken from a male perspective and spoken from a single male perspective, right? He says, look it, this really is a quote. You don't meet a girl on, on Friday, fall in love with her on Saturday, and marry her on Sunday. And the reason is because that's really stupid. <laughs> because the relationship hasn't been tested. It hasn't been tested. You have no idea uh, how deep this love goes. You say, I love you. But you have no idea what it even really means. It's a nice hormonal buzz, I suppose. But, but how deep, you don't know how deep it goes until it's put to the test. The test of reality. And that takes time. You got to see how this thing works itself out. You ever have this happen to you where you're in a relationship? It could be a romantic relationship or maybe just a friendship relationship. But, but you love the person and you're committed to the person and, and, and you, you make promises to one another. And you think you're in this for life. But then a testing comes. Something gets, makes this relationship inconvenient or difficult. You got to work through something or who knows what it is, but the person bails on you. And you're left thinking, well, I thought, I thought we had, I thought it was more than that. Is that all the deeper your commitment went? When you said love, that's all. See, when you said I love you, you perhaps meant it four feet deep. But when they said I love you, they meant it four inches deep. And maybe that's all the farther they go. So they felt full of love. But they only go four inches deep. But you never know whether it's four inches or, or four feet until a storm comes along that requires deeper roots. And then you discover, oh, they only went down four inches. And uh, at least now you know. But see, that's why... Testings are important for relationships. Uh, if you pass those tests, if the person hangs in there through the tough times, they get stronger and the relationship gets stronger. But if they bail on you, they get weaker and the relationship gets weaker and maybe comes to an end altogether. Only by tests do we discover our character and solidify our character. And God's always hoping that, that we'll, we'll persevere through the test and grow stronger. But there's a choice we have to make because there's an enemy out there who wants us to fail the test and to grow weaker. Now, this leads to another question. If it's so necessary that we go through testings to discern our character and to grow in our character, then why on earth would we pray that God not lead us to them? Aren't they good things? We should be happy about them. Lord, give us more trials so we can grow stronger. Why pray, lead us not to temptation? Very good question. Uh, we're dealing here with a thing called Hebraic parallelism. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Hebraic parallelism. And in, in Hebraic parallelism, you have parallel statements. Two sentences or two phrases that are connected. And the second phrase or sentence clarifies, or fills out the meaning of the first. Uh, we saw this earlier in the Lord's Prayer a couple weeks ago. When we prayed, uh, let your will be done, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, see, we're not praying for two separate things when we pray that prayer. We're praying for one thing. Uh, for God's kingdom to come is for God's will to be done. 
You'll know God's kingdom, the reign of God is established wherever God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a parallelism. And so when you're dealing with Hebraic parallelisms, it's always important to interpret the first line in light of the second line, because the second line clarifies it. So let's apply this to uh, the phrase, um, lead us not into a time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, Deliver us from the evil one needs to interpret, lead us not, not into a time of trial. Now, notice this. The first thing is that when we pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one, it's assuming that we're already in a trial. Why else would you pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one? Um, It's assuming that we're going to have these kind of struggles. In fact, that's the perspective of Jesus in a lot of different teachings. He promises us that in this world we will have trials. And the way the New Testament presents this is that we're we're stationed behind enemy-occupied territory. And we're in, the, we're in a war zone, we're in a battle. And, and we daily have to fight principalities and powers and other forces that are pulling us uh, uh, away from God's way. Uh, our life is a battle. This whole epic that we're in, between the ascension and the second coming, is a time of testing. This is why the New Testament tells us that the bride, and that's the corporate bride of Christ, that's us, we're to be making ourselves ready and adorning ourselves to put on the character of our bridegroom. This whole season that we're in, this epic that we're in, it's about developing our character and, 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 and making it more Christ-like, and that happens by going through testings. So whatever we mean when we say, lead us not into, into, into a time of trial, we can't be praying, Lord, help us to have a carefree life, or we don't ever have any trials or tribulations or any kind of testings. No, that's not possible in this war zone. When we interpret the first line in light of the second, deliver us from the evil one, I think it has this kind of connotation. Uh, Lord, uh, far from leading us to more trials, deliver us from the evil one that we're already contending with. The one that we're already contending with. Uh, and the fact, the fact that this prayer of deliverance is in the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer was the standard Christian prayer, has been throughout, throughout church history, shows you that We're always in need of deliverance from the evil one because our life is one sustained battle in this war zone world in which we live. All right, so that's the exegesis of this passage. Um, Now let's talk about the evil one, (laughs) Satan. First thing I want to say is that when you think about the evil one, when you think about Satan or the devil, uh, don't think about anything remotely resembling this guy. All right, so th- this is the caricature. It, this comes from the Middle Ages. Uh, some folks, it's really a knockoff of the Greek god Pan, who had hooves and a spiky tail, and I'm not sure where the pitchfork came from, but, but that was kind of the medieval way of thinking about Satan. And it got caricatured, and some pieces got added on, like that little mustache and goatee and all the rest. But uh, it's a cartoon. And here's the thing. I think a lot of people have trouble taking Satan seriously because they associate Satan with that picture of Satan uh, and therefore dismiss the whole thing as some medieval superstition. Don't think along those lines. To get a glimpse of evil, to know what Satan looks like, if you can put it like that, you have to for a moment, and it's never fun to do this, but think of some of the worst, most nightmarish, cruel, sick, twisted, unthinkable things that some people have done to other people, adults and children, contemporary and going back throughout history. You can think of Hitler, you can think of Stalin, you can think of Rwanda, you can, whatever comes to mind. Uh, There you're getting a glimpse of what Satan, quote unquote, looks like. Uh, 
I find it, I don't find it helpful to even imagine a face on Satan or, or any kind of physical shape at all. When I imagine Satan, I imagine it more like a dark, poisonous cloud that's got intelligence. It's an intelligent force, it's cloud. And, and it, it just feels more real thinking of it that way than thinking of it as, as an embodied person. But however you imagine it, what we need to know is this. In the New Testament, the evil one is not just associated with the most heinous things that people have done to, to other people, though that is true. But from the perspective of the New Testament, the evil one is directly or indirectly involved in all temptations. Uh, he, he's, it's not that he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere, but he's the, he's the head of this dark empire. He's got principalities and powers and demonic agents working under him. And so directly or indirectly, he's involved in everything. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Cast all your anxiety on him, on God. Why? Because he cares for you. And he says, discipline yourself. Keep alert. Because like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. So I, I, I love Peter. He says, don't be anxious. That's all I care upon him. Oh, by the way, there's a cosmic roaring lion who's out there to, uh, to devour you. But don't worry, don't worry, it's all okay. But the truth is we shouldn't be anxious about that because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world, amen? Uh, it's not something we should fear. We should never fear the devil, but we need to take him seriously. We need to take him seriously. He's a roaring lion. He's hungry for souls. You could put it like that. Seeking whom to devour and his main tactic is by causing us to fall. Uh, Paul talks about the wiles of the devil, or the schemes, the, the designs of the devil in 2 Corinthians 2. And we're not to be ignorant of those. Stay alert. This is why we need to be disciplined and alert so we're not caught off guard. We don't fall into traps because overcoming temptation is an essential, essential part of our life because that's the way that we demonstrate our character and that's the way that we solidify our character for better or for worse. So listen to something that Jesus said, and this is also in the Sermon on the Mount. We dealt with it about a year ago, I think. It's in the previous chapter. But Jesus says this, let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. In other words, say yes and mean yes, say no and mean no, because anything more than that comes from the evil one. Now, what Jesus is getting at here is the practice in the ancient world, and we have it a little bit today, where people would try to bolster the credibility of a word of theirs, especially a promise of theirs, by swearing on something. In the ancient world, they'd swear on the temple, swear on Jerusalem, swear on whatever. Uh, and Jesus says, don't do that. Today we'd say, I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear on the Bible, or a stack of Bibles, or something like that. Uh, Jesus says, don't do that, which is kind of ironic when you think about a court of law, where you have to do that if you're going to testify, but that's not my problem. So um, he's saying, let your word be yes and mean yes, and no, and mean no, and let your character do the talking. Live the kind of life where you don't need to be trying to leverage your credibility on something else. Because anything more than that comes from the evil one. There's a temptation going on there. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I, I, I'm, it's, it's, it's bad to leverage your credibility on something else by swearing on that. Don't do that. Okay, that's a good thing to avoid. But in terms of the world's sin scale, I wouldn't rate it near the top. That seems like a relatively minor thing. Um, I mean, compared to murder or something else, saying I swear on my mother's grave, yeah, she shouldn't do that. But it does seem like the gravest of all sins. It seems relatively minor. So if the enemy is involved in a failing, falling into a temptation 
that's this minor, what possible sin should we assume he's not involved in, directly or indirectly? If he's involved in the little ones, he must also be involved in the big ones. And I submit to you that the perspective that the New Testament gives us is that we should always assume that there's an enemy force at work whenever we're tempted. Yes, we're tempted by our own desires. James tells us that. But there's also an additional force out there, this roaring lion, this dark, poisonous cloud that has intelligence. The evil one is out there directly or indirectly trying to get us to fall, to get tripped up. We, the way the New Testament presents us is that we, we perpetually live in this war zone and the, the enemy is always present, either directly or indirectly, trying to trip us up. We live, in, we live in the midst of this poisonous dark cloud. But thank God we also live in the midst of the all-holy, all-loving, all-powerful God. And as I said, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So we should never fear, but we must always be aware that there is this battle around us. And in us. And we're involved in it. C.S. Lewis really captured it well uh, in, in Christianity when he says, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. That really is the New Testament's perspective. Uh, he, he nails it. We live in this war zone. It permeates all of creation. And this is why the prayer, deliver us from evil, is one that should always be on our lips. Deliver us from the evil one always on our lips because we are always in need of it. And as is true of Jesus, every temptation is also a test. Because with every temptation, uh, we demonstrate the character that we have and we solidify that character for better or for worse. However big or however small, all of them are testings of sort. It's not that the Spirit is leading us into these temptations. He doesn't need to because they're all around us already. We live in this war zone. And so our prayer is, Lord, far from adding any more trials to us, deliver us from the one we're in right now, the evil one. It's a present text, uh, uh, tense kind of a prayer. Deliver us from the evil one that we're contending with right now. And, and to say deliver us from the test that we're in right now isn't to say get us out of it. It's rather to say get us through it. Uh, help us not to succumb to the temptation. Spirit, empower us to say no to what God says no to and yes to what God says yes to and to withstand the, the temptations of the evil one that are coming our way. Now this is, in the Western world, not at all how we're conditioned to see the world. This is not the worldview that we inherit from our culture at all. But I'd like us to try, try this on. Like, uh, you guys ever put on these, these virtual reality headsets? My son has one, and it's the coolest thing in the world. I put, he just got it a couple of weeks ago, and I, I put it on. And it's like you enter in this alternate universe. It's, it's really cool. Um, well, like a, like, a, like a virtual reality headset, put it on this worldview. You can call it the conflict worldview. The view that C.S. Lewis just articulated, where everything is permeated with this battle between good and evil, God and, 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 and Satan. And try to look at the world and try to look at your own life that way. And in this world, you see, you, all those tests are opportunities to grow, but they're also opportunities to fall if we're not disciplined and alert. Imagine yourself, you live in this cosmic battlefield, and numerous times a day, you're tempted. At the very least, you're tempted to be less than the best version of yourself. And every decision you make either moves you towards the best version of yourself or moves you in a different direction. You're tempted on the basis of your de desires, but you're also tempted by forces outside of yourself. And how you respond to those temptations 
both reveals your character and solidifies your character in a certain direction. And this is serious stuff. As we saw with James, this is part of what it means to be on the world that leads to eternal life. According to the New Testament, the central, or at least a central purpose for our life is to develop a Christ-like character, to have our character now match our identity as it is in Christ. Um, it's the central purpose of our life, to, be, to, to cultivate the kind of character that is com- compatible with Abba Father and therefore compatible with the kingdom. Because nothing that's not compatible goes into the kingdom. Develop this kind of a character. This is the bride making herself ready, adorning ourselves with, with the righteous works to, ca- to cultivate the righteous character, the right-related character that is found in Jesus. It's a central purpose of our life. And if it's a central purpose of our life to develop this character by withstanding temptations, then it's a central purpose for every day of our life. Because our life is nothing but a series of days put together. Our culture never thinks about that. That's, that, that's not like the top goal of anyone's idea of, of, for, for, for each and every day. In the ancient world, they knew this better. Uh, we, we saw this when we dealt with the friendship series, um, that like with Aristotle and Cicero and these other ancient authors, uh, they regarded the, a best friend is the one who helps you become virtuous because becoming virtuous is the point of life. Even ancient pagans understood that. And that's kind of been an assumption throughout most of history, but we've totally lost that today, at least in Western culture. Uh, you may still have some, you know, uh, motivational speakers who will talk about the, talk like this, but no one else does. The goals that we tend to have are getting a bigger house and getting more money and having more comfort and 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 uh, you know maybe getting some fame, getting some recognition. You know, they, they live in the good life. At, at the very least, the goal is to live a pain-free life, or is with minimal amount of pain. And maybe some would, would say the goal is to leave the world a more just place. They might, you know, have that value. But you never hear anyone saying, the goal for today and every day is for me to become the best version of myself as I can possibly be, which from a Christian perspective means to be as Christ-like as I can possibly be. And that means withstanding the temptations that are come my way every single day that tempt me to be less than the best version of myself. Saying no to that on a daily basis. So it means, folks, since this is so foreign to our way of looking at the world, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I encourage you to put on this, this virtual reality headset and look at your life and look at the world as the war zone that it actually is, because that is the accurate view of the world. But because it's foreign to us, it's something that we're going to have to be renewing our mind and over and over and over again. And it means that the prayer, deliver us from the evil one, is going to always be on our lips in the midst of this war zone world. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but I'll tell you what it does for me. Um, First thing it does, when I look at my world in this testing zone, is I, I, I immediately become aware, if I'm honest with myself, and sometimes that's the hardest challenge. You become aware that numerous times every day, I'm tempted to be less than the best version of myself. But I'm so used to giving into that that I don't even recognize it as a test any longer. Think about that. Looking at the world this way wakes me up to that. And the first thing it does for me is it makes me want to cry out, Father, forgive me, uh, as I forgive those who trespass against me. I become very aware of, 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 of just how much I need to be forgiven. And as I talked about last week, that's a good thing to have. Because your appreciation for God's forgiveness and God's grace will be proportionate to your appreciation for just how much you need it. The reason why we have cheap grace today is because we have cheap sin today. People are just ignorant of that. But becoming aware of that, uh, you cry out for forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. Uh, and that, that then intensifies your appreciation for God's grace. 
And what that does, well, it, it empowers you to forgive others more quickly when you realize how much you've forgiven. If you didn't hear that message last week, I encourage you to get it, especially if you're hanging on to grudges. And it also frees you from that fallen impulse we all have to judge others. You become aware of just how sinful you are. You're not, a, you're not in a position to be judging others. That's the first thing it does. The second thing it does is it, 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 it makes this prayer deliver us from the evil one. As I look at the world through the lens of this cosmic conflict worldview, um, it gives it a gravitas or a reality and a passion. Because you're aware that you really do need the Spirit. Empower me to say yes to what God says yes to and no to what God says no to and never to do otherwise. it's it's, it's real. This is not a formal prayer. This is a reality prayer. And see, I find that that when I consider all the ways in which I instinctively don't pass tests, and that also is forming my character, but not in the best direction, uh, when I think about all that, I get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed. Uh, Deliver me from every one of these. I find it very helpful to locate, focus on... One or two things that I feel like God is saying, this is what I want you to do. This is, this is what I want to work on today. This is what you need deliverance from today. You can't, don't bite off the whole thing. I find that to be overwhelming and it drives some people to total despair. Uh, the Spirit always works in processes. It does that with the nation of Israel. It does that with us as individuals because the Spirit operates out of love and love is influential, never coercive. And so God doesn't say, let's change everything overnight. Yeah, he says, okay, let's work on this. Now let's work on this. Now let's work on this. That's what he does with Israel. And that's what uh, God wants to do with us. So I encourage you to pray about what does God want to deliver you from? Uh, one or two things that, 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 that come to your mind here and, and, and pray about that. And when you become clear on the one or two things, because get this, if the goal for every day, if the goal for is every day uh, to... Uh, cultivate a Christ-like character, we ought to always, every day, be working on something. You follow this. In this war zone world, there can be no coasting. I find I coast quite a bit. All right? But that's, if the goal of every day is Christ-like character, there is no coasting, so we ought to be working on something. What does the Spirit want to work on with you today? And maybe that will go on for a month or a year, but... What is it today? And when you get clear on that, then just commit to the Lord. You'll acknowledge this as a test. You're aware that there's a tempter that doesn't want you to pass that test. And you're going to cry out to God to deliver you from that test, which means you're going to be, you're not going to succumb to the enemy. And just make that commitment. And if you make that commitment, I guarantee you, you will be tested. You will be tested. Think about it like this. Whatever it is that you're committing to no longer do, whether it's a thought pattern, a habit, whatever it is, uh, you were doing it for a reason. And the reason is because you liked it. The reason we sit is because it's fun. It feels good. It scratches an itch. It does something for us. You you liked it. If you didn't like it, you wouldn't have been doing it. And now you're saying that something you like, you're going to give up. Well, I guarantee you, you're not going to like that. (laughs) You're not going to like that. And the enemy knows that you don't like that, and so they'll be testing on you to go back to it. You know, you know how that is. But the commitment is for the greater good, the greater good of developing a Christ-like character, you're going to say no to something that you previously were saying yes to. That's how it works. 
And keep a vision of yourself of what the best version of you looks like when you're free from this, because that's what motivates you to keep on going in that direction. That's what faith is. You hold as a substantial reality in your mind that which you anticipate, that's what you expect. You're having faith that you will become this. But there will be testing. There will be testing, and there's some suffering that could go along with that. But just remind yourself that this is what we're called to do. We're not called to live a convenient, pain-free life. We're called to make sacrifices for others and also to develop a Christ-like character that's compatible with Abba Father. No pain, no gain. There really is truth to that slogan. So I'm going to end this message in a way that I've never ended a message before, and I bet none of you could guess how I'm going to end it. Uh, I'm quite sure of it. If I were a betting man, I'd take bets on that, but let's keep on moving on. Um, I want to close by talking about Lent. Like you you do. Because here's the thing. Uh, Lent is this very ancient practice. It goes back to the very earliest Christians. And the practice is you take 40 days, patterned on on, on Jesus' time of testing, you take 40 days leading up to Easter, and you fast from something. A fast just means that you're going to say no to something that you previously have always said yes to. You're going to say no to that. Now, this may be something that you permanently want to change in your life, and so the Lent is the first 40 days of a, of a permanent change in your life. It could be something like that. Or it could be something that you, that you just sense, you tempor- temporarily have to put on hold just to ensure that you're controlling it and it's not controlling you. It happens in life that we sometimes just develop things that become inordinately too important to us or too significant to us, and it's, this is a way of, of putting things in their place. I'm going to say no to you just to show you who's boss. So you're not controlling me, I'm in control of you because we're supposed to be in control of our behavior and of our thoughts and all the rest. So it could be that, lifetime change, it could be a temporary change, or it could even be just something that you happen to enjoy, but you say no to it, it just to flex your discipline muscle, to flex your anti-temptation muscle. And that always needs flexing. It's a form of working out. You're going to say no to this just so you develop a better capacity to be disciplined. It's the kind of thing that, it's an attitude you have to cultivate, and, and it's, it's easy to lose if you're not alert, if you're not, if, if, if you're not persistent with it. So you may just say something like that. Uh, some spiritual guys encourage people who fast from something to, re, to also supplement that by adding something. So it's not just about saying no to something, but say yes to something that, that moves you closer towards God, whether it's increasing your prayer life or reading scripture or, or whatever, the Spirit will lead you. But... We've never taken Lent that seriously here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, we haven't paid much attention to the church calendar at all, and that's kind of typical for Protestant churches. Um, as a Catholic boy, I grew up having Lent, and we always had to give up chocolate. <laughs> Which, I, I, I think, if the thing is, we didn't choose it. That's what we were told. You have to give up your chocolate. And it's like, I don't think it works if it's involuntary. I don't know. It's just my idea. But, but uh, see, this is a long part of the church tradition, and we're just beginning to see that there is real value in joining with Christians around the globe, because millions of Christians will be fasting during Lent, and, and joining millions of Christians throughout church history to do this discipline. Discipline is always better and easier and more likely to succeed when you're doing it in solidarity with others. Uh, because you know that whatever you're going through, other people are going through. And they, they, this is what Christians have done throughout history. So this is not that big of a deal. Yeah, you, you, you know, you, you're tempted to go back and get that chocolate or whatever it is that, that you're saying no to. But, but you remember that you're, this is in solidarity. And the body of Christ is an usness, right? It's, it's a corporate body. So we're doing it in solidarity with the body of Christ at large. And there's a tremendous value in that. So this, let me want to encourage you 
coming right after this meal. Danny prayed this thing. Lord, we've got these resources. Help us to share these resources with others. Um, that, 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 we do that with a blood drive. But we're now doing this with, with the body of Christ at large. And we want to encourage you to be uh, in prayer about how God might lead you, what God might lead you to fast from during this Lent season, and uh, possibly what God wants you to add, what, what, what positive thing does he want to add to your life. We'd like to do this in solidarity with the church as a whole here, so when you know what you want to, uh, not what you want to, but what you're supposed to, uh, fast from this Lent season, we encourage you to, to write that out on a card. For those who are part of our local congregation, we've got a board back there, and you can just go back there and write out the thing that you're going to be, or the things, it could be more than one, that, that you're going to be abstaining from. You don't have to put the positive thing on these cards, just the thing that you're abstaining from. Uh, if you're part of the non-local congregation, we'd encourage you to do the same thing. Just write out what you're going to be abstaining from. You don't have to put your name to it. Um, it's all anonymous. But uh, uh, fill it out, take a picture of it, and then send it to, do we have the website up here, Mary? I think that, yeah, okay. So send the photo there. And if you don't know how to do that, and I don't, ask your kids. They'll tell you. That's, it's, it's easy. But I just feel like this is the time for us to do this together. We're learning to love together. Well, let's learn how to fast together. Let's learn how to, learn how to be disciplined together. Uh, let's learn how to suffer together. This is, this is what the body of Christ is called to do. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you, Lord, for that you protect us from the, from the evil one. We, we, Lord, help wake us up to the reality of the war zone around us. Wake us up to the ways that we have fallen to the temptation of the enemy. Clarify for us what we need to be working on. And Spirit, empower us to do it in solidarity with the people of God throughout history and throughout the world today. We give you the praise and the glory and help the poor folks in the Ukraine and bring peace there, if at all possible. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. A few announcements. Uh, we've got the Tuesday Muse uh, thing going on, so I encourage you to check that out. We've got gathering groups where you get out and can discuss uh, the, the message and go deeper with it and meet some really incredible folks, uh, possibly from outside your state and maybe even outside your country. Um, We've got the prayer as available. If you're local, we've got prayer up front. If you're non-local, we've got prayer on the uh, website. Take advantage of that. And finally, if you're going to be local next week, please let us know ahead of time uh, and, and, and if you have kids so that we can have enough ch children's workers to take care of them all. God bless you guys. Go out into the war zone. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Take care.